You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And when you're dead, you're done, so let the good time grow. Time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. You can join the conversation by calling 512-643-LIVE. That's 512-643-5483. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good afternoon, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. I tell you, I feel like I'm the hardest working man when it comes to defending the Second Amendment. It's been a busy day. Been at the gun range all day, filming a documentary for um, you know a, a quite a few uh, networks uh, uh, around the world as a matter of fact and then later on this week when we'll be doing a uh, an event for ESPN I tell you we're just working it we're working it we're very busy working and defending the Second Amendment so let's talk about some of the shootings that have gotten the most attention recently now the shootings of Keith Scott and Terrence Crutcher both of which took place this week and have gotten nationwide attention for their controversy relating to the police brutality. Now, first, in the shooting of Keith Scott, which occurred on the 20th of this month, police were attempting to detain a man they claimed would not relinquish his weapon while sitting in his vehicle. Now, he exited the vehicle, and after many requests by the officers to drop his gun, he was shot and died from his sustained wounds. A firearm was later found on the scene. However, it was not the object in the video that has been depicted by the police department as the firearm or by some as a book. Now, Scott, that they claim Scott was reading. Now, secondly, the shooting of Terrence Crutcher, where a female officer shot a man after seeing an SUV broken down in the middle of the road. Now, the police officer who shot Crutcher has been charged with manslaughter in the first degree. Now, curiosities arise in both cases. Why was Keith Scott stopped in the first place? Although he did turn out to be a felon in possession of a weapon, now probable cause needs to be firmly established before contact is made. Now, with Terrence Crutcher, the police officer is getting charged with first degree manslaughter, which, if convicted, carries a minimum sentence of four years. It's been pointed out that the officer has a past of charges, including harassment for, um, by her employment. I'm sorry, harassment before her employment and excessive use of force during her employment, which she was not reprimanded for. And so the question of the day, uh, when it comes to using deadly force, do police officers and civilians follow the same law? And that's what I'm going to ask every one of my guests today. When it comes to using deadly force, do police officers and civilians have to follow the same law? I want you to think about that whenever there's a shooting. Anytime someone is shot, whether it's a police officer, whether it's a civilian, 
when it comes to these shootings, ask yourself, in the state of Texas, we're talking about Chapter 9 of the Texas Penal Code. When you're looking at Chapter 9 of the Texas Penal Code, do police officers and civilians have to follow the same law as it pertains to use of force and deadly force? All right, so before we get into that, though, let me welcome to the show Cody Wilson. Cody, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hey, Mike. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. All right. I, I tell you, you feel like you're so close, but uh, I, I got a feeling you're, you're really far away. <laughs> oh, I'm so far away, Mike. I'm in, I'm in Tampa, Florida right now. It feels like uh, some type of alien paradise. I oh, don't man. recognize these beaches. What do I do about this? Oh, Tampa. Uh, you need to go to the other coast. Go, go, go on the other side there. Go to Fort Lauderdale, oh, Miami. Oh, the other side. Of, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I love Miami. Oh, yeah. Our bows love that stuff, man. But we had a good... We've had a good time out here, Mike. There's uh, the annual gun rights policy conference that's being held out here, and that's sponsored by the Second Amendment Foundation. And uh, a huge collection of all the lawyers doing all the hard work for us out there in the, diff- the many different uh, district and appellate courts trying to uphold our Second Amendment and everybody getting together and planning for the year ahead. Okay, so what, well, what exactly do they do at this event? Because I've never heard of it. Oh, man. Well, I'd love to tell you all about it. I mean, mostly it's put on by the, by the, the organizers of the Second Amendment Foundation, and that's the largest... Uh, the largest single foundation that manages Second Amendment litigation in the country. It's directed by Alan Gottlieb, and they're responsible for decisions like, uh, you may be familiar with uh, the, the Peruta cases, the decision up that just came through in the Third Circuit where uh, they got restoration rights for these nonviolent felons. Uh, lots of lots of cases with the Second Amendment that, that we generally just kind of credit to the gun lobby are, are in fact, 80%, I'd say, or more, are steered by the Second Amendment Foundation and its uh, affiliate lawyers. Oh wow! Okay, and so what are the, what organizations or what people are there that you've run into? Oh gosh, I saw uh, lots of people represented: U.S. Concealed Carry Association, um, uh, Arizona Citizens Defense League, Florida Concealed Carry. I mean, I, lots of grassroots organizations from across the country like to show up. A lot of people that enjoy litigation, or uh, I saw that on panels. Calguns is in attendance. Um, a couple, uh, in fact, a couple of members of Calguns. I saw Mr. Uh, Hoffman was there as well. Lots of uh, journalists like A.W.R. Hawkins or Breitbart. And uh, honestly, man, it's just trying to trying to be a good representation of the current activist community, uh, litigative community, and even some. Uh, Governor Rick Scott opened up lots of legislative representation. So anyone who's interested in advancing gun rights at a policy or, or litigation level tries to uh, make an appearance. Okay, and I, I I was actually doing a documentary earlier this morning uh, for a Holland uh, TV station. And they were they're oh, yeah. here they're here in Austin, Texas, and I was telling them about you and the fact that you're going to be on the show, and they were really excited because uh, they had never really heard of 3D printing and and anything oh, like wow. that. So yeah, so wow. it's like oh, we like where have you guys been? It's like oh, we never heard of that before. <laughs> it's like oh, That's you, so you, funny. yeah, exactly. I said you, you can actually you know make a gun at home. They're like, they're just like oh my god, are you serious? They're just you know. It just blew their minds. <laughs> it just blew their mind. That's kind of that's always my job when I, I show up and I'm like, well, look, you know, remember, you can still 3D print or you can mail guns, and uh, here's how our lawsuit's going, etc. I should say that Defense Distributed, my company, uh, our lawsuit is uh, one of our co-plaintiffs is the Second Amendment Foundation, and uh, gosh, man, we uh, you could say in many ways this this group and the people that come to the GRPC out here in Tampa this year are are right there with you, Mike, on the front lines trying to, to hold the line or advance liberty where they can. So how is the lawsuit coming? Like, where does that lawsuit stand? Because you actually had something happen uh, where you guys actually, you know, presented your case. Oh, well, I'm unhappy to say, but our most our most recent uh, 
guess our most recent update is that the Fifth Circuit, our, our three-judge panel at the Fifth Circuit, uh, disagreed with our appeal and didn't didn't want to grant an injunction against the government. Uh, they said the injunction wasn't warranted at this time against the government. They declined to review the merits of our case. They declined to really make it anything more than a procedural decision about the discretion of the judge at the district court. So it was a very underwhelming decision, and uh, the panel really took pains to avoid uh, the merits of the issue and the merits, as pointed out by our amicus, our many amicus that helped file in this case. So it's just... Uh, you know, no one's gonna. This government's not gonna want to give you, uh, credit you your Second Amendment liberties unless you absolutely force them and make it happen. And so they're just telling me that I gotta keep going. They're telling me that I gotta either ask for an en banc review or appeal to another authority until someone treats this honestly like what it is, which is a First Amendment case. And see, that's you really disappointing because your attorney actually, um, you know, fought a good case. I mean, he actually presented a really good case, and oh, sure. the the opposing side actually stumbled all over themselves. Oh, it was embarrassing. Sure, sure. But, and what the, the panel takes pains to take out again and again is that we're not reaching the merits of the case. We're not ruling on the case. They're simply declining to give us an injunction right now, which would just be the easiest way to immediately get back on the Internet and post our files again rather than winning a, an entire whole case. We just want them to we just want them to enjoin the government and just clearly recognize that when the government tells you you can't post things that you create related to guns on the Internet, that that's clearly illegal and an illegal content-based restriction of, of protected speech. They just won't go there. No judge wants to be the person to go there because they understand the consequences, and they won't be made, they won't even be shamed into recognizing the law, even if it's at stake, the First Amendment. So we just have to soldier on. Yeah, you got to keep going because you are truly the world's uh, one of the world's most dangerous men. So you, you, you got to soldier on and continue right. to fight the fight. Yeah, I'm so dangerous. I have to be. Uh, I have to be as boring as to continue my boring multi-year lawsuit. How dangerous <laughs> I am! Hey, but it, it's important though. And and you you have a book coming out also. Oh, I do. You know, thank you for bringing that up. I I had this speech at the at the conference and I didn't even talk about it. And I was are you like, serious? Oh, I'm such an idiot. I didn't even talk about it, yeah, because they, they were like, oh, I'll keep it to 10 minutes. So I just tried to keep it to the core stuff, but didn't even mention my book. But thank you, Mike. I, I have a book coming out called, uh, fortunately enough, uh, Come and Take It, which is, I guess, probably a favorite motto of yours and mine. And uh, that book's coming out October 11th with Simon & Schuster. You can pre-order it on Amazon right now. It's about It's about all the ideas and the generational fury and political torment of the the men and women that helped bring the 3D printed gun into being uh, and kind of a bit of why we did it. And I think it's a fun read and a good time and it will help you as a young person or an older person kind of understand the situation, how and why these things happened. Absolutely. Absolutely. Happen. You know, and I'm excited about the book because I'm in the book. So, you know, I'm going to push the <laughs> heck out of this thing. You, you, you know. do feature in the book. Mike. Yeah. I, I, you, you do indeed. I've already like ordered it. my copy of the book. I'm ready. <laughs> I, I'm waiting for this book to come out. I got my copy, you know, paid for. I'm just waiting for it to come in the mail any day now. Well, I'm so I'm so happy that you're happy. Oh. People out in Radio Land. Oh, I'm I not happy. Say. I'm excited. <laughs> Tell you, Mike, I'm excited. I got to let your listeners know, Mike, that you know I'm uh, credit where credit's due. You know, Mike Mike Cargill and, and his business. You know, they were always always friendly to me from the from the earliest days of my project when I was just having trouble getting a foothold. And I'll, I'll never forget that kindness that you that you had and that you gave to me, Mike. Uh, and so I just try to you know you were an important part of, of my story, and uh, I'll never forget that, man. Oh, man, I appreciate that. He's trying to make me cry now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm trying to be sincere, man. I do appreciate it. You gotta, I got a few friends out here, man. And, and Mike, you and your show, and I hope your audience are, 
definitely friends of my project, and I'm just I'm very grateful. Yeah, because it's it's a hard fight because I, I was sitting in class yesterday, and you know when I get down to the end of my classes, I I've kind of field you know I I field people out pretty much. And I get down to the end, I can kind of figure out who's who and what's what. And that's just one guy's like, man, you got to be an attorney. Because he didn't really talk much in class, but when he did say something, there were key things that he said. I said, you've got oh, yeah. to be an attorney. And then, you know, he's like, yeah, I am. And then after, after class, after the range, you know, he came up to me. He goes, I'm going to be up front with you. I said, okay. He goes, yeah, I'm an attorney, and I'm actually one of the attorneys for the gun-free UT, and, you know, we're going to be coming after you. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, wow. Like, yeah, I was like, so, bring it. So what? He's he's going through the process of, of learning how people do uh, concealed carry classes so that he can pick it apart in his mind. Or yeah, something. so, you know, wants to, you know, you know learn, learn the laws, I guess, and learn all the ins yeah. and outs of it. Because yeah. the key questions he was asking – you know, he was, you know, he was curious about certain things. So they want to learn exactly yeah. what the laws were. And people were asking very good questions in class. So uh, but that's yeah. OK. You know, but we, hey, I, I love what I do. You know, I believe in what we do. You know, I believe yeah. in the Second Amendment. I believe in all of our constitutional rights. And I definitely believe in the uh, our gun laws we have here in Texas. So he, bring it on. We're ready for well, you. Well, Mike, you probably planted a seed. And, you know, regardless, you got his money. <laughs> that's right. You're gonna, you, yeah, that's right. You're going to pay me to learn from me. Uh, you got his money. And, and then we're going to see you back home that. packing. Oh, <laughs> uh, gun for UT. That's a, that's an uphill battle because uh, you're not, you're not going to be able to overcome that's the, the state privileging of that right. But, uh, you know, best of luck to him. Yeah. Now, in anyone around you that you can grab that we can talk to, or are you – you just oh, like in the hallway yeah, or something like that. Yeah, the conference. Man, the I like conference to grab. I like to grab the guys from Breitbart. You know, I like to grab them oh, and you man. know, you know, find out what's going I, on with Breitbart and and they're just so they're one hundred percent Trump, Trump, Trump all the way. Oh, and they, they really don't are. Budge. You know, I was. It was fascinating to me, Mike, how many people were uh, were on the Trump train out here. There was even a little Trump booth representing and everything. I thought that was an interesting touch. You wouldn't think that the Trump organization at any level would try to find its way all the way out to a conference like this that even people in our own movement don't really know about. Yeah. So I was, I was kind of surprised at that. But no, this, I've had to leave. Uh, the conference has actually concluded. Oh, I, no. I didn't know it was going to conclude so late. But I do have some other people kind of around. Um, I'm right, looking but, for one of them, though. Okay, but hold on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're going to go to break, and then when I come back, I'm going I'm to keep you for a little while longer. I'm not going to keep it too much yeah, longer. Sure, I'm going to sure. ask you a couple things here, and, and we'll, then I'll let you go. All right, brother. Well, I appreciate it. All right. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Yo, what's going on, guys? It's Jack Jones here, and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Man, I don't want to be anywhere but right here. I tell you, I'm talking to Cody Wilson. Cody is the mo- the world's most dangerous man, and he's in Florida making it all happen. And he has a new book coming out called Come and Take It. I tell you, we got to get this book. You got to get it. You want to find out everything that's going on out there. Cody tells you some secrets. And you definitely want to know. You want to read that book. I already got mine on order. Wait for it to come in the mail. Come and take it. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. <laughs> All right. I love it. So, uh, Great. So, Cody, uh, you know, 
out of all these police shootings that have taken place, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of different shootings um, that have gone on around the country. And the one that mm-hmm. disturbs me the most is going to be the one that was in Florida where the um, the social worker, whatever he was, was laying on the ground on his back with his hands in the air trying to talk to one of his patients, trying to talk his patient down um, out of the road. And yeah. he was shot by law yeah. enforcement and no one's being charged for that. You know, no one's being prosecuted or charged at all. And what disturbs me the most about that is people came to the defense of the police officer. Um, in a, even in a situation like that, where after they shot the counselor, they actually went and handcuffed him and laid him yeah. on his side, you know, where he you know, was bleeding out on the side that he was shot on and left him handcuffed before they even called for an ambulance. And then later on, they came out and said, well, he wasn't really the one we we're trying to shoot. We we're actually trying to shoot the, uh, the autistic kid uh, instead. <laughs> and we, you know, we accidentally shot him. But if you accidentally yeah. shot the wrong person, why did you handcuff him and put him on the ground? So, you oh, know, and, and no one, it just, that disturbs me because no one comes out and, and it's like no matter what happens, you know, they can never do any wrong. I'll tell you, it's in fact, a lot of people have already forgotten about the one with with the shootings in Charlotte and then now the Justin Carr shooting. And, you know, the protests just kind of move on and on. And we forget we forget the, the singular absurdities of some of these other of these other events. But, yeah, that was one of the most absurd to me as well, Mike. And I even remember some of one of the defenses coming out and the cops saying, like, well, you know. I wasn't aiming at anybody. I was just shooting. <laughs> and they were like, well, why? And they're like, well, you know, for safety. <laughs> and, the, you know, these uh, none, of, none of these explanations and these automatic defense mechanisms that people have really pass the, the sanity test. They don't, they don't pass the, the smell test, right? I, it just, it's just a sign of how divided our culture is. There's, there's a camp that wants to immediately uh, accuse police of misconduct and abuse, and there's a camp that is just as, as willing and able and ready to defend the police at all costs, no matter what. And both, frankly, are showing um, a lack of discipline and a lack of honesty. And, and it's, it's disgusting. It just shows how divided we are right now. And, and I, don't know, I don't know that it's going to get any better. And what I, like, well, what I like to ask people is when you're looking at these different shootings, um, I try to ask them, you know, so when you're, when you're actually analyzing this and you're debating this going back and forth, you kind of look, you need to look at it in a neutral light. And then ask yourself, when it comes to using daily force, do police officers and civilians follow the same law? Oh, and I think, I think an honest examination and answer to that question is, is clearly there's a double standard. And, um, you know, look, I know it's, it's tough to be a police officer. I know you've you got to put your life on the line uh, to a large degree in a way that many people don't and uh, they don't understand. But, look, you're, that's your job. You've taken a job to to deal with difficult situations and specifically to deal with situations where people aren't being compliant. And, uh, it ain't just an answer that, uh, Hey, he wasn't listening to me. So I shot, you know, you gotta, you gotta deal with complexity in hairy situations. That's the job you took on. You don't just get to answer every question by, uh, by pulling a trigger. That's my, uh, that's my position. And, and there's, there are a lot of cases where, Hey, they were completely justified and that person got you know, exactly oh, sure. what they deserved. <laughs> hey, get this. Like, this is going to make me sound like, uh, especially with the people that work with me, they know that I'm not, that I don't throw these cops under the bus for what they do out there. But most of the time, I wait for the facts to come out, and I'm, you know, uh, reluctantly on the side of, of cooler heads and, and law enforcement. And, and most, of these, most of these episodes have just become kind of exaggerated and fantastic because of media coverage and dishonest, you know, selective coverage of the facts. But let's, you know, let's still call it, 
uh, a spade a spade and let's still appreciate our civil liberties. Uh, we don't need to be out there, you know, trampling over everybody and, and just acknowledge, just trying to, to convince ourselves it's okay that we let the police do whatever they want to us uh, lest we die. That's uh, that's not the way a free people and a free republic works. Absolutely, that's absolutely correct. And 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 really, the answer is you know yes. You know both civilians and law enforcement actually do have to follow the same law. You know, but it's just not always the case. Well, that's right. There's there's the same law, but we know it, we know that it doesn't quite operate. Uh, you know, if I Mike, if I was to if I was to oppose uh, an illegal arrest or or unlawful order of a police officer with anything like force, I would be in a world of hurt. And uh, you know, common sense just common sense just tells you that you don't you don't go that route if you want to keep breathing. Okay. And then and tell me what's what's new with Defense Distributed, you know, because you guys are working on trying to get you know your product out, you know, get it out the door. There, uh, it, are you? Oh, sure, sure. So, we still sell our machine, the Ghost Gunner, uh, our Ghost Gunner line of products, and our lower receivers at GhostGunner.net. They keep our lawsuits going. Uh, <laughs> they keep our lawyers paid. They keep our people working and happy. And uh, that machine is being upgraded all the time. We have a new experimental spindle that we're going to start shipping in a couple weeks. Uh, eight times stronger. Uh, same materials, just different method of manufacture. Twenty times improved runout. It's a precision device. Fits on your desktop. It's fifteen hundred dollars. Best milling machine you can buy for the money. Now, people ask me this, so I'm going to ask you. Uh, whenever you know there's a shooting, whenever the the president or someone comes on uh, the TV there, especially the president, and they mention gun control or anything about firearms. Oh, sure. You know, sure. do your sales go up? Well, I mean, yeah, I think like the broader industry, we, we do note an uptick in sales, especially when the, whatever the shooting lends to a sustained conversation about gun control. People are real nervous out there. And of course, there's always the holiday season too. So every time the holidays arrive, like things start to pick up. But I'll tell you, I, I don't think the last few shootings have, have really been, and maybe this is a sad thing to say, but they've been kind of a blip. Maybe a lot of people are just having fatigue out there. You know, there's only so many crises and so many terrible events that can happen before people get kind of numb to it. Um, it's a sad thing to say, but yeah, like you probably know, every time there's a significant gun event in this country where uh, guns get back into the national conversation as a political issue, we benefit and we make those sales. Now, do you think that the American people will become numb to this and sales will actually go down? Uh, I, I don't see I it. don't know. I don't see Mike, it. I don't know. I think, the, I think there's a lot of money to be made by everybody. Like the media is advantaged by, you know, kind of stoking the fires stoking the division, covering the riots, for example. You know, like old Rush Limbaugh used to say, the, the drive-by media concept. They want to go and create trouble and find trouble where there isn't any. And so I don't, there's a, there's a whole market, there's a whole demand for this type of, this type of controversy. Uh, I don't think, the people have an appetite for it, is what I think. Mm, so it's always there. Uh, yeah, yeah. People need a people need a bad story, right? That's that's <laughs> what keeps the news cycle going. It seems to me. Sorry to be cynical about it, but yeah. No, you're you're absolutely no, you're right though. You're you're absolutely correct. And and they always ask me that question. You know, well, you know, do your sales go up? It, absolutely. Whenever, especially the president. The president is one of the most powerful. You know, that's a powerful yeah. position in this world. Uh, the U.S. president. And whenever that person, whoever the U.S. president is, especially this current president, gets up on the mic and says anything about gun control, anything like that, you know. Uh, Man, it's an immediate response. Immediate. He has to know. I, you know immediate. You can, you, can track, you can track Obama announcements on guns with uh, the stock value of like Smith & Wesson, for example, and it's, it's really, really noticeable how they spike and how they, they correspond to each other, how they correlate. 
Um, sad, the sad way the world is, right? That's you know, when uh, if they don't want us to buy guns, if they want us to uh, calm down, they should they should stop uh, they should stop making us panic. <laughs> now, have you uh, any, anyone else around you there at the convention that I can holler at? Uh, right, Bart. No, you just, there's Paloma. She keeps running around, but she's not here. Oh, okay. Um, but no, I mean, I'm sorry. I'm all I'm all off on my own. I, I thought people'd be around me. I can imitate Alan Gura if you want. No, that's no, about, no. That's about the best I can do. <laughs> you know, I got to have an extensive conversation with Mr. Guy last night. I mean, if you want if you have any particular questions about things that are happening out there, I'm happy to happy to give you my best shot. No, no, you're good. Yeah, I'm just curious because I, I really wanted to talk to like someone from Breitbart. I need to really sure, ask them sure, questions sure. about you know their just their coverage, the way they're they're they target. They focus on Trump, and that's it. I mean, they're just focused. They don't budge at yeah, all. Yeah, they're in the tank. They're yeah. definitely in the tank. Uh, Bannon's up there now running the campaign. I think Hawkins, though, Hawkins is exclusively, like, his relationship to the editors is he covers simply the Second Amendment. But I'll tell you something about Mr. Hawkins. Uh, yes, he writes for Breitbart, and he was he was given an award uh, yesterday at this convention. Oh, wow. And it was Journalist of the Year Award. So the staff and the, the Citizens Committee for the Rights to Keep and Bear Arms recognized Mr. Hawkins for his work. Um, both on covering shootings and covering the, uh, you know, the mishandling of facts and information on guns by the media through all these different episodes. And anyway, when he, when Mr. Hawkins accepted his award, he said, uh, just like I tell my kids, if you kick a liberal in the teeth, he, uh, he's less likely to take your guns away. <laughs> <laughs> so Mr. Hawkins sees his work as uh, correcting the record and correcting it hard, kicking those liberals out there in the teeth with their dishonesty. And preventing them from taking our guns away. Absolutely, absolutely. I hear you. And now, um, and then, uh, were you honored at all? Did you have to give a speech? Well, you, yeah. You say you spoke uh, for like uh, fifteen minutes or twenty minutes or something like that's that. That's right. I just had I had a brief speech, and I think it was well received. But I was I was honored last year at this conference. Okay. Uh, they gave me an award. I was. Uh, it's always a surprise. They never tell you that you're going to receive one. So they gave me the uh, Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms gave me what's called the Bill of Rights Award. And that's for recognizing that the Second Amendment, uh, you know, often we just focus on it as its as its own kind of right, its own isolated right. But, Correct. you know, there's there's some people that every now and then we you know, they show us that the Second Amendment is also about impacting all of our other liberties together. Absolutely, because and, uh, the yeah. Second Amendment actually will defend all the rest of the constitutional rights. That's right. <laughs> you know, the Bill you, of Rights is, is much less much less safe without without that second. And so you take the second uh, and everything else will fall. That's right. So they give an award out every year to people who uh, who help show and help demonstrate on a on a scale that the Second Amendment is impactful to a whole range of our civil liberties and civic life. And uh, I was honored to receive that award last year. Nice, from them. very good. Well, I I tell you, man, Cody, I, I really enjoy talking with you, and um, definitely can't wait till you come back to town so we can talk some more. Um, and and definitely get you in on, in here when I have the Tech State Rifle Association inside the room. So get you. Oh, that'd be great. At the same time, yeah, that'd be great. awesome. Mike, always a good time, man. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely, ladies and gentlemen, that is Cody Wilson, the world's most dangerous man. I tell you, all your, uh, I, I I can't wait till that book comes out. I really can't. I, I'm I'm dying. Can't wait. That, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you, Mike. All right, thanks, Cody. All right, so we're talking about a lot of things today. We're talking about, and then the main question is, when it comes to uh, using deadly force, uh, do police officers and civilians follow the same law? So later on down the road, we're going to have Edwin Walker from Texas and U.S. Law Shield on the show to talk about that. But up next, we're going to talk with John Henry. John Henry w- with Georgia Carey. Uh, John Henry, welcome to come and talk it, sir. 
Well, it's Jerry, but you're quite welcome. Jerry, I'm sorry, Jerry. What did I, where did I get John from? I'm looking right at Jerry. Know. Well, it's just one of those things. You know, you're John Henry and here, and John Henry was a shield driving man, and I just shoot bullets. Jerry Henry, that's right, Jerry, uh, with Georgia Carey. <laughs> Not a problem. All right, so Jerry, I, I, a whole lot worse. I can assure you of that. I tell you what, Jerry. You know, I love you guys' motto uh, out there in Georgia: uh, the No Compromise Voice for Gun Owners. Well, that's what we try to do. And and you're by doing that, you're actually saying something. You know, what are you saying when you say that? Is are there, are there organizations out there that actually compromise? Well, there are people that. that uh, well, there are people say that we compromise. It depends on what you mean by compromise. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, we, we tar- start off with a bill, and we want everything in that bill. But we also know that it's probably not going to happen. So we compromise with that. Can some of those uh, parts out of the bill that are objective to others, but we wind up moving the ball down the field, and we come back next year for the same thing. Right. We don't, we don't um, compromise in saying that, well, it's okay for you to 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 uh, ignore this part of the Constitution or this part of the Second Amendment and do this. So for the, as far as the, the compromising for the, the rights, we do not compromise for that. But people do claim that we compromise because we accept bills that are, are less than what we asked for to begin with. So but we, don't give up any, we don't give up any right that we have uh, restored through legislation. So when you come back the next session, how, how do you how do you get that bill changed? If if you allowed them to amend it and uh, you left not knowing who opposed it, well, we know who opposed it. Uh, that's that's not a not a big secret about who opposed it. We know who that is. But we come back the next year and uh, we may uh, we may rewrite the bill in a different uh, form, or we may find another way to get the bill passed. But uh, most of the time in Georgia, we have a, a two-year session that runs for 40 days, 40 legislative days each year. So the gun bills that we put in this year, if they don't get passed by the end of this session, they'll be still alive next year. So when we come back next year, that will be a, uh, an election year, and that gives them a little more, gives us a little more pressure on them on the legislators to pass the bill that we wanted to begin with. So, did, well, we're all right, all right. When we come back from the break, uh, I tell you, Justin's got some questions for you. We're talking with Georgia Carey. We're talking with Jerry Henry with Georgia Carey, our good friends over the great state of Georgia, the Peach State. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talking. This is State Representative Jonathan Sticklin, and you are listening to Come and Talk It on Talk 1370. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. I tell you, all heck just broke loose in, in Austin, Texas. Uh, this, a storm just rolled in, and it's raining like crazy. I'm telling you now, go around, do not drown. Please go around, do not drown. If, it, if, you, know, if you can't see the marker... Definitely go around. Don't do it. Don't take a chance because I tell you, those, those waters come in pretty fast. All right, so we're talking with Jerry Henry with Georgia Carey, our great friends uh, over in the great state of Georgia there, uh, fighting the good fight 
uh, protecting our Second Amendment rights for the state of Georgia. So, Jerry, um, what are some of the things that you guys are focusing on this particular session that you're in now? Well, we've, we've come a long way to begin with, and we're not in a session yet. We won't be in uh, one until uh, the second Monday of January next year. Okay. Uh, but we have, uh, those that don't know much about Georgia Carey, when Georgia Carey started off, we were 39th most restrictive state in gun rights in places where, and in places where you can carry. We had fewer places to carry than uh, California and several other states because we had a what was called a public gathering law that was a Jim Crow law from the Civil War that said you could not carry to or while at a public gathering, which consists of but is not limited to government building, bars, churches, uh, political rallies, or sporting events. Now we are somewhere in the top five states in the country as being the least restrictive. So we've done a whole lot of our job, and there's uh, there's still some things we want to do. One of the things we we're looking at last year, we did pass a campus carry bill that was vetoed by the governor. No, no, hold oh, on. Yeah. So so both bodies passed campus carry, mm-hmm. and the governor vetoed the bill. And the governor, the the so-called Republican governor, vetoed it. That's okay, correct. now that's a problem. So are we trying to get this governor out of office? Well, the the sad part about it is he's got two more years to go, and he is no longer eligible to be elected. Okay, well, that's so a good he part. he can do whatever he wanted to. Okay. That is a good part. But uh, for, uh, I think it was 34 years before he was elected governor, he had an A-plus rating with the NRA. What a disgrace. And he still had an A-plus rating until he vetoed that bill last year. So... Uh, George uh, is a little bit funny, and and by the way, I I was born and raised in Texas, so. Oh, oh man, that's awesome! What part of Texas? <laughs> well, I was I was uh, raised in a little town called Bells, Texas, up uh, close to the uh, Oklahoma border. Oh, okay. On Highway seventy five, about ninety miles north of Dallas. Nice. All right. Uh, around Sherman and Denison, for those that know that part of the country, but. Uh, Georgia is a little bit different in some states. Georgia, we say, has four branches of government. They have the legislative, the judicial, the executive, and the Board of Regents. And the Board of Regents has uh, an awful lot of money and an awful lot of power, and they fight tooth and nail to stop campus carry. And they've been doing it for the last several years. And uh, Now, the Board of Regents, that's for the universities? That's for the universities. That's okay. correct. More reasons for the university system. Right. And see, we and, had we uh, had the same thing here, you know. But we, I tell you, we, if it wasn't for students for concealed carry on campus and you know other mm-hmm. organizations out there, you know, we were able to get campus carry passed after like trying for like uh, four sessions. And our sessions are every odd year, so we don't. It's not yeah. every year; it's every odd year. So we're yeah. talking like you know, you're talking like eight years. We've been trying to get this sucker passed, and we finally got something done on it. Well, what our Board of Regents does is, is uh, they have, a, like I say, they have a lot of money, and they may control some people's futures uh, in the, that might be uh, connected with the governor. But So now, so now it sounds like we need to work on, you know, voting some people out of office to get some well, of these people out of the, the Board of Regents. The, and, sad part, yeah, the sad part about the Board of Regents is they're appointed by the governor. Mm. So one of the things that... that uh, uh, bill came up last year, and it will come up again this year, and that will be for the citizens to elect the Board of Regents, and that will make them a little more answerable to what the uh, citizens want done. Okay. 
So uh, we're working on that. But there's several things that we we have in mind, and, and a lot of them are cleanup work. You know, we pass bills here. I'm, I'm not sure how they do it in Texas, but I can tell you that most of ours don't pass until about 11:30 on the night before they uh, adjourn, and they have to adjourn at midnight on that day. So we're one of the last things that comes through, and a lot of times those get sent to conference committee reports and things that are done at the last minute are not always done properly so we have a few things that we still need to clean up are things that we didn't quite get included that we wanted included uh, in the bill originally so we wind up with uh, a few lawsuits and working on those things so but we're still uh, even with those things we're still in uh, in terrific shape compared to where we were uh, uh, eight years ago, nine years ago. So we're, like I said, we're we're getting to the point um, where we will probably be playing more defense than we will offense in the future. And the only reason is we don't have a lot to be, you know, to be pushing on down the road. Now, do you find that you're uh, you're you're going up against a lot of Republicans or Democrats or who who is typically in opposition? To your bills. Well, the Democrats down here, for the most part, are in opposition, depending on where they are. And that is, if you're uh, if you're in South Georgia and you're a Democrat and you vote against the gun bill, you won't be in there next year. But if you're in Atlanta and you vote against the gun bill, you will be in there because that will help. And so do, it depends do you on have where, uh, where you are? Do you have a majority of Republicans or Democrats, or oh, what, have, what's, what's have, the layout? We have uh, a, a by far majority Republicans in both the Senate and the, the House. It depends on, uh, we're, we're very close to having a supermajority of Republicans in both uh, chambers. So we're in good shape in that part of it. But then, uh, you know, Bloomberg's headed down here with his money as well. He's trying to, to get some anti-gunners elected. He's not going to do it in the, in the Republican areas right now, but he may get some of the well, what I'm concerned about him doing is is having is buying people that will come out here and talk conservative and get elected and then not be conservative at all. Kind of like your governor. Well, <laughs> yeah, like the <laughs> governor turned out to be. Right. You know, but like I said, he's at the end of his career anyway, so he he can. Uh, do whatever he feels like. I, I tell you, for, for, for giggles, you ought to do a recall election or something. <laughs> well, I'm not. It's, it's very difficult to do that in yeah. Georgia. I know. I just, I just say that. I know. I just um, say it as joking. Yeah. And uh, it's just a fundraising tool. Yeah, we still got some things that we'd like to get passed that uh, he would probably sign off on. He'd just sign off on Captain Scary. So we don't want to, you know, we don't totally, don't want to totally uh, alienate him because. We still have a, a couple of things that we may need to get done, or that we do need to get done. Well, so. about that alienating them, I mean, do you take that same approach with representatives as well? Because I, I run an organization here in Texas called Lone Star Gun Rights, and we have, I guess we treat things a little differently. Uh, we prefer our bills to not get watered down, and the reason is is because we want to see who who is in opposition to them, because it's our job as, an orga- as, a, as a gun rights organization to go against them in the primaries, anybody who's in our way, and have them replaced by a pro-gun candidate. And it's typically Republicans. Well, we we do the same thing. Uh, like I said, there are very few Democrats down here that are not uh, anti-gun. Most of those are Republicans that are for guns 
and we have a probably oh i'd say six or seven democrats that we can normally count on to vote for now as far as watering the bill down most of the time uh, what we put in the bill that gets watered down things that we knew uh, would keep the, the opposition quieter you know things that we yeah but the problem but the problem is that also provides cover for weak republicans as well that's the only issue well, with that. well and i don't disagree with that but uh uh, we have Republicans that, that have voted for our bills that, on numerous occasions that we will not support in any way, shape, or form. Because what what we do is we attain all the hearings and the people that are fighting in the hearing to get it watered down are the people that we put out the, the word on that we're not going to vote for them. We're not going to support them. Okay. We have one lady down here that's been a A-plus a+ NRA uh, endorsed uh, representative for the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. And uh, we quit. Uh, we never did endorse her, and we quit uh, the first chance. But when we started endorsing folks, we did not endorse her, and we have not endorsed her since because she was the same thing. She would sit there, fight like heck in a, in a hearing that she thought nobody was really watching. And when it came to the floor, watered down, and she would vote for it and then jump up and down and say, look, I voted for your gun bill. So we, we, we know those people are there. And uh, we know that some of them have a lot of power, and we have to work around those. Well, I mean, the way we do it is is, is by trying to, to shed light on those situations because, uh, you know, they – they continue to get, to get elected, and they continue to, to campaign on being pro-gun because not that many people that even vote are really knowledgeable about led the legislative process and all the little tricks and stuff like that they do. So we, we try our best to, to, to collect as much ammo as we can with an explanation as to of why certain individuals need thing. to not come back next session. Right, and we do the same thing. We do the same thing for those, those very same people. And that's also something that you'll notice that the NRA typically, that you'll never see them go against a Republican. No, we we go against Republicans. We go against uh, anybody that goes against us. You know, but like you say, we're not going to always get them out of office. But that doesn't mean we're not going to try to. Even if you don't get them out, if you make it tougher for them to come back again next session, they'll they'll at least respect you. And that's and that's what we do. Like I said, we do the same the same thing. We have people that go to um, all of our hearings and keep track on who voted which way and how they voted and what was said by them in the meeting that would hurt our bill. All right. So now, uh, tell me, uh, Jerry, Ann, with, with Georgia, you guys have some form of open carry there, correct? We have open carry with license. Yes. So it's open carry with the license. When did that go into Correct. effect? Uh, well, there has never been against the law to openly carry in Georgia since the the founding of the colony. However, in 1910, you, it was required for you to have a permit to carry a, to carry a firearm uh, openly or otherwise. Well, as, as a matter of fact, 1910, you can only carry openly. Then, in uh, back in the 80s, 1980s. Uh, the concealed carry portion of the bill came in where you could carry concealed or openly with a license. We don't have a concealed license. We have a Georgia carry weapons license, which allows you to carry a uh, weapon which is defined as a fire, a handgun or 
a knife with a blade of five inches in length or more. Okay, so when my, with my Texas license, when I come to Georgia to visit my parents who live out, outside of Snellville, Georgia there, I'll be able to conceal carry or openly carry my handgun. That's correct, just like me. Okay. You, you'll be under the same laws I'm under. Yeah, because when I, when, I, when I go visit my parents in Snellville and I cut the grass and I'm working in the yard, I want to open carry my handgun. Well, you can do it. Right, I just wanted to make sure. I, I, openly carry, uh, I openly carry every day. There are very few places that I... Uh, that I can still carry. I just the only time that I can still carry is when I go to uh, large meetings, which they don't allow me to open, uh, openly carry in there, or when I go to an off-limits place uh, where I can't carry a gun anywhere. And the, when I conceal, I go to those places. Are it's cold in the winter time, and I got a coat that covers it up. Okay. Now, what about constitutional carry? You guys have that coming up there in Georgia. Well, we have not. Uh, there's been a bill op- uh, put in for several years now, but it it, it doesn't go anywhere. We have a, we may have a conservative uh, group of politicians, but none of them really want to do away with that license right now. We're about uh, I'm going to say we're about 40 representatives away from getting that passed. Oh wow! Okay, so we got to replace 40 people, and then you'll be able to get a constitutional carry passed in Georgia. If, if replaced with the proper people yes okay all right man but, I... uh, but that that's that's something that you know it, uh, georgia gun owner has been pushing that for a while but um i don't know like i said i can tell you that some of the people that are are in the are going to be in the way of that that are that would will be able to stop it for a while but i think it's coming i think it's another and I say it may not take 40 people, but I think we're, uh, we may be about two sessions away from okay. that rather becoming a hot issue. All right. I, I tell you what. Thank you, Jerry Henry with the Georgia Carry. Appreciate you coming on the show and talking to, to us and, and giving us an update on what's going on in the state of Georgia. Okay. Well, when you come to Georgia, give me a call. All right. Thank you, sir. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening. You got it, huh? Here's B.B. King, the king of the blues, worldwide. Welcome back to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. We're talking all things firearms. Now, here's Michael Cargill. Now it's time for GGN, Global Gun News. Global Gun News, sponsored by Central Texas Gunworks, the largest online gun store in Texas. In the news, Minnesota stabbing stopped by Hero. Last week in St. Cloud, Minnesota, a 22-year-old man dressed as a security guard walked into the Crossroads Mall and started to stab people. Now, videotape captures the suspect entering the mall and attacking nine people, none of which died in the attack, and thankfully, most of them escaped with no serious injuries. They were out of the hospital within hours of their admission. Not a single word, not even like a grunt or like a, any, anything. He didn't give anything to me. Any emotion? No. He looked just blank in the eyes, like he wasn't even there. Unbeknownst to the attacker, in the mall, there was an off-duty police officer who also owns a tactical training facility. Now, the licensed carrier, by the name of Jason Falconer, identified himself as a police officer, to which the assaulter responded by backing down slowly and then quickly attempting to bridge the distance between him and the attack. 
Falconer shot and took the suspect down, but he was able to recover and attempt another attack. And again, he was shot down. And once more, the suspect rose up and attempted to attack again before finally being shot for the last time, killing him. Falconer was publicly thanked by both the mayor of St. Cloud and the police chief. During the stabbings, the attacker made at least one reference to the Muslim faith by speaking the name Allah and also had reportedly asked one victim if they were Muslim before attacking them. Now, ISIS has claimed responsibility for the attack by stating on one of its media outlets that the attacker was a soldier of the Islamic State. Authorities state there is no evidence to suggest that the bombings carried out in New York or New Jersey have any connection to this attack. Wells Fargo robbery stopped on Monday morning as patrons of Wells Fargo Bank in Homewood, Alabama, were going about their business. A masked man entered the bank with what appeared to be a weapon. As the perp entered the building, he stated he was robbing the bank and demanded money, then made everyone get into a corner. Now, the suspect's hand was wrapped in a cloth that gave the impression he was armed in some way. And the citizens in the bank didn't want to take a chance, so they complied with his demands. But one of the customers in the bank by the name of Eric Dial was armed himself. And when the suspect got his money and everyone had been told to get in the corner, Dial says that the suspect began to make his way to the door. Hey, so he bagged us open the corner. What did you do then? And by that time, you know, I thought about it. I had my weapon on me. And once he got all the money and was approaching leaving the bank, he pointed at us. You know, I ain't know what he had. So, you know, I just feared for my life. And I just fired a shot. Just before leaving, he turned and pointed his hand. And that was still obscured by a piece of cloth at the group of people. Now, Dow said that, he feared for his life and the lives of his fellow citizens. So he pulled his weapon and fired one shot, missing the suspect. The shot did, however, scare the suspect and sent him out the door. Now, by this time, the police had already been notified of the situation and were just outside the bank where they came face to face with the fleeing robber. Now, the arrest was made and no one was hurt in the incident. The charges include three counts of robbery and theft of property. And that is your Global Gun News Report for this week of September 2016. All right, so the question of the day is, when it, when it comes to using deadly force, do police officers and civilians follow the same law? So now we're going to bring into the conversation Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. Edwin, welcome to Come and Talk It, sir. Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me. Outstanding. So, uh... Edwin, you know, the the big question of the week, because there are a lot of different things going on, and I don't condone all these, you know, this rioting and things of that nature. It's, it's good to protest, you know, if you don't like something, but to then destroy property and things of that nature, you know, that is something that we should not do. And there are some different cases that are out there, the legitimate complaints. Uh, this particular one, I don't know if this is one of them, the one that's in Charlotte. I'm not sure about that one. I, I can't tell yet. <laughs> you know, it's not looking good, you know, uh, on the person that was shot. And then maybe the one in Tulsa, you know, maybe there's a good case there uh, for something not wrong. But definitely the one in Florida where the uh, the guy was laying down on the on the ground with his hands up in the air. Um, he was a therapist or something or a social worker trying to talk to a patient to talk a patient out of the street. 
and that person was shot. So it's definitely a case there uh, of some wrongdoing, and no one was charged. Nope, not one police officer was charged. And I'm not coming. I don't want to come across as anti-cop or anything. But the problem is, whenever we have some of these shootings, if it's a a, a shooting where it's, and I'm going to put it out there, where it's black on black crime, someone is actually prosecuted and they actually go to jail for that. But when it's a shooting uh, where there's a, a law enforcement officer involved uh, and that person, the law enforcement officer is in the wrong, the problem is that person is not prosecuted. And that's what people will get upset about. So the question is, when it comes to using deadly force, do police officers and civilians follow the same law? Well, um, they're supposed to. And the, the, the case in Florida, you're, you're, you're absolutely on the mark about your questions regarding that one, because that one did seem to be very a very egregious use of deadly force. Uh, it, it quickly went away. And what was bizarre was that their excuses were even more ridiculous than the actual incident as it happened. Um, so they, they, every time they tried to spin it a different way, it came across, well, you know, you wouldn't have been allowed to shoot in that situation either. <laughs> so that is one that really, I think, um, you know, merited a lot of scrutiny and really has kind of disappeared from the radar. Um, you know, you're the, you're the only person I've heard bring it up in, you know, the last couple of months or so. Uh, and the one in Oklahoma, of the last two that we've seen, the one in Oklahoma obviously is the one most troubling because uh, objectively there was no deadly weapon. And so you have to deal on, you have to look at it on what was the reasonable perception. And the officer who shot the gun has been charged with manslaughter. Now, the thing about it is, is that uh, on a situation on a roadway, um, we deal with a lot of road rage uh, stuff, a lot of road rage cases, because people will pull guns. People people believe that they are entitled to pull a gun or show a gun when they're the victim of a road rage. And, you know, I understand people can be scared. Uh, however, you're not justified in pulling a gun uh, in a road rage until somebody actually is trying to get into your vehicle or get you out of your vehicle. So a lot of people do it prematurely, and they're arrested at the scene. And I guarantee if there was a shooting um, such as this and it involved a civilian as a shooter, they would have been arrested at the scene as well. I mean, that, that just I can, I can pretty much say with a, almost 100% certainty that would occur. Now, back to your original question about you know, whether police and civilians have to, are under the same standard, you actually have to look at uh, Texas Penal Code Section 9.51. And that is, I will tell you, that is the most complicated section uh, in the entire chapter of justification, because the section itself has divided people into three categories, in which that section generally deals with the ability of law enforcement to arrest and search and use deadly force. Uh, but the statute itself covers three different types of people. It covers police officers. It covers non-police officers who are acting at the direction of a police officer, say there's a police officer who's been injured and there's a civilian and the police officer is giving him direction to do things. And then there are people who are just acting on themselves. They, there are no police force, there are no police officers around. And so these three types of people are dealt with kind of differently, but the standard is pretty much the same. Um, if you're, you know, if you're justifying using deadly force, a police officer is justifying using deadly force. 
However, there is a provision of the law that would seem to give the police officer a little more discretion in using deadly force uh, if they are attempting to effect an arrest, whereas a regular person is allowed to use force to make what some would call a citizen's arrest, uh, but they're not allowed to use deadly force in making a citizen's arrest. And there, uh, in the event that they did use deadly force, they would have to go back and rely on their general justification statute um, in Texas Penal Code 9.32. Okay. And then in the case of Oklahoma, you're talking about the like the Texas Castle Doctrine, where if someone's attempting to enter your occupied habitation or your occupied vehicle, place of business or employment, you'd be justified in using force or deadly force to stop them, or they're trying to remove you from your occupied habitation, vehicle, place of business or employment, you'd be justified in using force or deadly force to stop them. And that's called the Texas Correct. Castle Doctrine. Correct. And I'm talking about road rage cases in general. Okay. Um, and it appears that this, you know, this, uh, this Oklahoma case is a you know is a road rage. Um, I'm just curious that the whole Oklahoma thing. The one that's the thing that's very bizarre is uh, the story is that his car stalled on the roadway. However, it's in the it's stalled apparently in the middle of the roadway. Yeah, I noticed that. That's a, it, yeah. When I looked at that, I was talking to one of my family members. And I was like, man, that's just really weird. You know, that's just... and how did the police helicopter get out there so fast? I mean, police helicopters don't respond to stalls in roadways. Right. And I don't know that the Tulsa Police Department has the resources to run that helicopter 24 hours a day. It's funny you ask that question because I asked the same question, and here's what I found out. I found out that the, the female officer's husband was flying the helicopter. Wow. <laughs> so it's funny you ask those questions because I asked the exact same thing. And I was like, well, why, how, you know, I'd never heard of that before in my life. You know, a regular, you know, someone broke down on the road. So they're going to respond with a helicopter. That was really strange. So, yeah. You're wow. Was he also the one that said that's a bad dude? Ah, now that was my next question because no one can give me that answer. They're saying, no, that's not him that said that. But they no, they're really not sure. Yeah, that that to me that's that is going to be the most important part of how that case resolves itself is why in in her duty to protect and serve uh, and this was a person who was experiencing some sort of automobile malfunction that Pratt who knows maybe he was dodging a possum on the road or something and stalled out in the middle of the road I have no idea how he got there but it's it's extremely puzzling how he got from a guy stalled out in an automobile to having a gun pointed at him with his hands above his head. Like, what, what on earth transpired in that missing scene right there? Right. And and, and you can see in his body language, I, I, I've, I've looked at it like a bunch of times, and I'm only guessing here. It just seems like he was saying, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm broke down and you're pointing a gun at me. You know, that's yeah. the way he looked to me is what he was saying. Yes, I and and we all I think we all would react that he's like, what are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, you're pointing a gun at me, and I'm trying to get my car off the road. road it's stalled. <laughs> that that is truly bizarre. But I I, I tell you what, I, that's the thing is is that we as a society, you know, we we would hold police officers and civilians to the exact same rules in regarding deadly the use of deadly force. We think that we would do that. However. Being that we have acquiesced this piece of our liberty, if you will, uh, to allow police to make arrests of us for violations of the law, 
uh, they are going to say that the ability to use force, to use their gun as a display of force, is necessary to that. And unfortunately, the courts, by and large, have agreed with that. Uh, what's even more unfortunate is that here in the state of Texas, a uh, police officer can do that for any crime that exists under the state law, uh, with the exception of two. But it includes misdemeanors that are punishable by a fine only, um, which actually was a case that was litigated all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court. They said it was a violation of the Fourth Amendment and a violation of due process to for a Texas police officer to have the authority to arrest somebody for a crime that is a fine only, and uh, that uh, the, the ability of police to do that was upheld in a five to four decision. But the dissent that was written by Justice Sandra Day O'Connor uh, pointed out something very, very important. And they said that, that uh, basically if the majority says that it's reasonable for a police officer to arrest somebody, to put somebody under arrest, which they have to use force to do, uh, for any crime, including a misdemeanor where jail is not a punishment, uh, then that is fraught with peril and open for abuse. And you know, that, that case was decided 15 years ago, and unfortunately I think we've seen that. That's, I think that's maybe where reform lies, is that, um, is that kind of you know, maybe limiting these opportunities that police have to make arrests for simple crimes. Um, you know, the, the, the guy who was shot up in Minnesota, uh, what their initial his initial crime was that they were driving a car with expired license plate. Mm. I mean that's just you know that that I think that that's where we should look is you know if the police are going to say look I got authority to arrest I therefore then have authority to use force using the arrest if you do anything that makes me believe that I am in jeopardy and using force I can then escalate that to deadly force then, you know, let's look at where this starts. Let's look at why we give the police the opportunity to arrest in those situations and not just simply write out a citation. Okay, and we come back from the break. I'm going to ask you about what happened in 1985 and what changed, because prior to 1985, um, police had a little more authority. But then after that, Tennessee versus Garner, those things changed. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening. Come and talk Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So we're talking with Edwin Walker with Texas and U.S. Law Shield. So, Edwin, uh, the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, from what I understand, limited the police use of deadly force against unarmed fleeing felons back in 1985 in a case called Tennessee versus Garner. Is that true? Well, yes and no. Okay. They did say that you could only a police officer could only use deadly force in preventing the escape of uh, of a of a accused criminal. They could only use deadly force in preventing the escape of someone they're pursuing if they have probable cause to believe that uh, the person uh, poses a danger to public safety. And so, basically, that was the that was the. That was the ruling because it turns out that the subject who was killed, and this was a civil case, this was a 1983 case brought by Eric Garner, uh, Garner's father. I don't know if his name was Eric, and that was, you know, obviously the guy in New York is Eric Garner. Uh, Garner's uh, father, and the, the facts, after the facts, it came out as like, look, he wasn't posing, a, you know, he, he was accused of burglary, it wasn't a crime of violence. 
He uh, didn't have a gun. He didn't have any weapons. They shot him. They allowed the case to go forward, and basically that was the ruling that they made. Now, that, that standard is actually set forth explicitly in Texas Penal Code Section .951. And it says that a police officer has to believe one of two things. First of all, he has to have authority to make the arrest, which they always do. Anytime they say, I'm arresting you for whatever, jaywalking, having a burned-out taillight, um, you know, any, any other sorts of shoplifting, whatever crime he's arresting you for, so he has to have authority to arrest. But then he also, uh, before he can use deadly force, he has to believe that, uh, he has to reasonably believe that the conduct for which the arrest is authorized included the use or attempted use of deadly force. So if he believes that he's arresting somebody for a crime of violence uh, that involved the use of deadly force, one of your aggravated offenses, aggravated assault, aggravated robbery, aggravated sexual assault, attempted murder, et cetera, or he reasonably believes that there is a substantial risk that the person to be arrested will cause the death or serious bodily injury to the actor or another if the arrest is delayed. And so the standard that was created in Garner, uh, Tennessee versus Garner, is actually the standard that we use here in Texas statutorily. So, you know, did it change things in 1985? Perhaps it did. Um, but like I said, that's the statutory standard now. So Texas, people who, officers who use uh, deadly force here in Texas will rely on 951. Um, Tennessee versus Garner really won't have any impact on that. Okay. All right. Awesome. And so, you know, the consensus is then, for the most part, then yes, uh, law enforcement officers and civilians do have to, you know, adhere to the same law when it comes to use. Yeah. And see, that's the thing about it is, is that, is that you would not... If somebody's being arrested for a petty offense, um, shoplifting, okay, let's say that somebody went into a convenience store, the store owner said, hey, a, a kid just shoplifted out of my store, he's wearing a red shirt, he was headed south on Main Street, police officer happens to respond. Uh, of course, the police officer first, you know, that, that's why they call the, you know, whenever, whenever traffic stops are made and they pull their guns, they call them felony stops. Well, that's because they have to have a belief that they're, you know, some sort of violent act has already occurred. So if they were to do that, you know, if the police officer were to say, you know, see the person who shoplifted, they're allowed to use force in arresting them. Uh, the penal code has already defined the use of a weapon. Uh, if it's displayed to say that you won't use deadly force if necessary in 9.04, so they can use a weapon, uh, and then if things escalate from there, the police officer would have to articulate what specific facts he had that led him to believe that if he were not to, you know, if he didn't use deadly force to effectuate the arrest of that shoplifter, that somehow he or somebody else in the public uh, stood at risk of having deadly force used against them by the perpetrator. All right, and as so uh, that's why that's why you always get to the well. I thought he was reaching for a weapon line. Right, I tell you, Edwin. You know, thank you very much. You you definitely always clear these things up. You know, because I have some doubts in my head, and you know, I call you up, and you definitely clear them up one hundred percent. So I really appreciate that. Well, that's what we're here for, Mike. And you know, I always enjoy being on your show. All right. Thank you very much. And that is Edwin Walker, uh, principal attorney at Texas and U.S. Law Shield. So thank you very much, Edwin. All right, so a young woman defends herself from home invasion. A Florida woman was able to defend herself from a home invasion in Jacksonville, Florida, where a 
20-year-old man kicked down the door of a 19-year-old girl's apartment. The woman was able to get to her gun and defend herself by shooting the intruder in the leg. And the injury forced him to escape the home and flee to a nearby emergency room where police caught up with him. Residents say the apartment complex is normally very quiet. And thankfully, the girl, uh, she didn't let the cloud her judgment. You know, she didn't, she didn't let that cloud her judgment at all when thinking about her safety. And people are so easily disillusioned by the idea of the status quo. Now, when you're alone in your house and someone tries to break down your door, it doesn't matter how safe your neighborhood is. When you're walking home in the middle of the night, it makes no difference how nice the people in your city are. Situations happen in an isolated bubble, not in a large statistical data. Your safety is your own responsibility. When a situation arises and make you uh, make any kind of choice, uh, you're responsible for that decision. So when you choose to be defenseless and you choose to stay vulnerable, you can't point the finger at anyone else. Take responsibility for yourself, for your family, and for your loved ones, and for other people around you. And as always, more guns equals less crime. Go out and buy yourself a gun. You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.